Welcome to a special episode of I Am Black History, Our Stories, Our Voices, brought to you by In the Black Canada and Deep Visions Media. I am your host, Donna Paris, and I'm so pleased that I got to spend time with Arnold Pinnock, co-creator, executive producer, and writer of the new CBC original series, The Porter. Arnold talked with me about the journey of his family from Jamaica to the UK and then to Scarborough, Ontario. We also talked about how we, Black people, come from a long line of storytellers, and each province and territory across this country is filled with stories of Black Canadians just waiting to be told. We of course talked about the porter and the 13 years it took to get it made, and the wonderful creatives, crew, and stars who brought this story to life. Join me now in my conversation with Arnold Pinnock. I'm here today with Arnold Pinnock. Is that the correct pronunciation? Oh, awesome. Thank you. That was like <laughs> right on point. Back, man. <laughs> Co-creator, executive producer, and writer of the new CBC original series, The Porter. Arnold also plays the character Glenford in this Black-led television production. And if you haven't seen it, you can catch it Monday nights on CBC, nine o'clock Eastern Standard Time. And you can catch the episodes you miss or rewatch it on CBC Gem. And I've watched episode one three times, and I'll tell you later why I've watched it three times. Arnold was born in the UK to parents of Jamaican heritage who were part of the Windrush generation. Arnold, his parents, and four siblings moved to Canada in 1975. Arnold began his career at Toronto's Second City and has appeared in a plethora of movies and series. Too many to mention, but let's just celebrate the fact that the brother has been working steadily in his chosen craft. Amen. Amen. Welcome, Arnold. Thank you for sitting down with me today. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. We're going to get to the Porter. Amazing, by the way. I'm loving it. You know, I can't wait for the next episode. I'm one of those lick down all 10, 12, 14 episodes in one sitting. So this is killing me to have to wait. (laughs) (laughs) We hear that a lot. We hear that a lot. But this is old fashioned viewing, you know, where hopefully, uh, our families get to sit down together and watch this and then rewatch it individually. I want to start with something I read in an interview you gave to Canadian Immigrant Magazine. And you said, to those coming to Canada, I want to say that there were people who have laid the foundation for us and we should put them on a pedestal because they have paved the roads and helped us to be in the position that we are now. Can you say more about that? When I think of my own parents coming from the Caribbean, to England after World War II. They were part of the Commonwealth, so they were actually asked to come, as well as people from India and other parts of the Commonwealth. They were brought to England to help rebuild England. But what happens is you've got a certain amount of jobs. Right. And now you almost got to compete to get these jobs. And that's where I think you find that whole aspect of one part of the community having feelings about the other part of the community because we're all fighting for these jobs. And it's a shame because it's almost like crabs in a bucket. But it's also a great way to control a population. When you are only giving out these sort of crumbs and everyone wants to get ahead, everyone wants to take care of their family, but you control or the powers that be control, the gatekeepers control how much crumbs they give out. You keep a population constantly hungry, then you can control them. But the beauty of, I believe, immigrants to a new country 
is that they bond together in unbelievable ways. You know, one thing that I always remember, which allowed us to get out of council homes and so on, was my mom doing partner. She worked at the hospital as a nurse. Groups of women from all walks of life would put money together in every month. And then, you know, from there, someone could buy that car or put a down payment on that house or pay for a person to come over from whatever country they're from. When we moved to Canada, that same sort of principle continued on. And it wasn't just West Indian people, but you had Filipino nurses and, and so on, and African nurses, and people were doing this partner thing again. And that's how we collectively got ahead. So maybe independently, you didn't have the money to go to the bank to get that mortgage, but collectively, a group of women, and you know, I don't know how it is in anybody else's home, but where I come from, the Black woman is the head of the house. And that's how I've grown up. God bless my mom for having that fortitude and that understanding and that, I don't want to say street smarts, but life smarts in order for us to move ahead. It's what allowed us to move into a Black middle class. But even with that, in the sense of our newfound country, it takes people like a Stanley Grizzle and the Lincoln Alexanders and, you know, and the Oscar Petersons and the Colin brothers and so on across this very country mm -hmm. to make those first steps and secure that foundation so that new immigrants like my family could stand on their shoulders and secure that foundation. What I've realized is that those foundations that were the first roots, we don't know about those roots. I see the bud of the flower. You know what I mean? Like I see the bud of the flower and I see that, but I don't get to see the miles and miles deep of the roots until I started doing research in this world in the sense of Canadian Black history. Right. That's when I started to see, oh my gosh, I had no idea, which is what everybody says when they talk about the show. It's like, oh my God, I had no idea like that any of this existed. This is a story about five ambitious individuals that are going for broke to get their dreams. They happen to be Black, but this could be a story of people from South Asia. Mm -hmm. This could be a story of, God bless and my prayers go out to the Ukrainians that came to this country, or the Scottish, or the Irish, or the Greeks. And the one thing about opening up this door to history, which I implore people to do, is you start learning more about, not just about yourselves, but about the people that came to this country I always say that, that wove themselves within the very fabric of this flag. And instead of seeing more differences, you actually see similarities. It really, really empowers me. Because of my parents and because my father was an avid reader and the whole Marcus Garvey and the, all of that, because my mom was such a religious person and because of those virtues that they had, it was instilled in me. So when I came to this country with them as a young person growing up in the school system in Scarborough, I wanted to find as many books as I could to learn about the Canadian Black experience. Right. And in doing so, I learned about this thing called Porters. And I didn't know anything about Porters. It was just those Black and white movies that I saw coming from the United States in that depiction. And to know that people not only from the Southern states, but also from my West Indian homeland or lineage mm -hmm. from Jamaica, Trinidad, Barbados, St. Kitts, St. Thomas, 
those people from those little tiny islands came to this huge country mm -hmm. and helped to change policy. That was it for me. I was hooked. I'm getting ready to sit down on Tuesday with a man named Van Hayes. He's 85 years old. His family came from Oklahoma. The 1,000. Oklahoma, yes. the 1,000. Yes. They went to British Columbia, and then they went to a place called Keystone, Alberta, which doesn't even exist anymore. Yes. I I'm going to sit down with him. 85 years old. Can you imagine the stories he's going to be able to tell me? You know, my mom always said to me, you know, each of us all find our following. You know, we always find our purpose. There's something about this that has really empowered me instilled something in me and the beauty that we could have a, just a simple conversation it's like coming from Oklahoma learning about history I think brings us closer together why they came from Oklahoma what draw them here and and that whole aspect of things and, and selling down in Alberta I mean that just I'm telling you that just excites me so and who tried to stop them from coming and who tried to stop them from coming and how they tried to stop them and how that was almost erased from history all of those things to me are empowering while trying to tell this story and get it all going, because it, it takes a lot to get a TV series going, but to know and to be empowered by the ancestors of those people uh, living or otherwise, and the mountains that they had to climb over, you know, that inspired you to keep going. Later on, I'll tell you a story of what happened to me in Vancouver about 10 years ago in the process of getting this show going. But uh, I'm excited about you meeting this guy. I want to meet him too. <laughs> you know, I'm not a historian, but you, you become one. You know what I mean? This is like, that's all you want to consume. Because I really believe what's happened then is happening now. And what's happening now happened then. Mm -hmm. And we can really learn from those things, I, I truly believe. I know I'm just rambling on and having just a regular <laughs> conversation with you as if there's a camera going on, but hey, that's the way I roll. I love it. It's really good. Do you remember learning anything about Black Canadian history in school? You went to school in Scarborough, you said. Yeah, shout out to Scarborough and Lamoureux and John Buchan and Timberbank. You know, you learn aspects of it, the Underground Railroad. But then they come to Canada and then that's pretty much it. <laughs> you know, the story ends right there. I was just more along the lines of wanting to know more. I did a movie way, way back for CBC called Must Be Santa, where I played uh, Santa Claus, an old movie. We were doing publicity. Uh, I think I got in New Brunswick first and then made my way to Nova Scotia. In New Brunswick, I went to a museum and in there, there was a ship. And on the ship, there were all these figurines and there were black figurines on this boat. Okay. And I was like, what? What's, what's going on? How did they get it? Because all we knew about Ontario, you know, it was like Underground Railroad. I was like, what's going on? So when I was in Nova Scotia, there was this one school and I answered all the questions about the show, the movie, and Must Be Sent, and how it was to shoot and all that. And I said, I have a question to ask. And I told them about going to this museum and right. this black and green. I will never forget this. This little freckled redhead girl stood up and told me more about Canadian Black history in that one moment that I ever knew. And I was like, God bless that young lady. That was it for me. I wanted to go down that rabbit hole to learn more because, you know, from province to province, sometimes we don't know about that other province. And the beauty, I think, of this show is it brings all of us together because even though the show is based in St. Antoine, which is Little Burgundy in Montreal, there is St. Antoine, a little black neighborhood all across this country. There's more than one in Nova Scotia. It's not just Africville. There's one in Manitoba, Saskatchewan, you know, Alberta, as you were saying earlier, you know, 
Amber Valley as well. Hogan Valley. Uh, Hogan Valley in Vancouver, uh, North Broxton, you know, close to Windsor there in Sarnia. There are so many of these places, you know. So for me, I just kind of thought this show was just my way, as well as the rest of the creatives and the people behind us. It was our way to give a love letter to those who don't have a voice anymore. Have you heard about the bog? Do you know of the bog? The bog. There was an area called the bog. It is where the parliament buildings are in Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island. There was a huge black community there. Those who were loyal to the British were, some of them were brought here, Shelburne and Birchtown. Well, some of them were brought to Prince Edward Island and they got settled in PEI in a place called the bog. And it was a bog where it's like marshy, terrible land. Another story for the screen, man, I'm telling you. I love stories like that. You know, we can go back and forth, you know, and and, and talk about all these places throughout Canada where Blacks have uh, made their way from the United States into Canada and settled. Can you imagine someone like yourself who, who gets the opportunity to hear about the porter or whatever it may be and just feel like empowered to now go, well, wait a minute, I'm going to dust off those things from the attic and I'm going to write a book or a thesis or do a documentary, and I'm going to do this. What we should be doing here in Canada is telling all sorts of stories, be it documentaries, be it movies, TV shows, about the full experience. We too lived in the prairies, <laughs> yeah. if you know what I'm saying. So yeah. it's really important for us to find these locations and share it with the people. Because you got to understand too, a lot of people that are coming to Canada now And not from the Caribbean or not from the United States, but they're from all parts of Africa in the sense I'm talking about Black people. And to know that people were here before that looked exactly like you, I think the effect of that has got to be tremendous in the psyche of a young brother and sister. One of our stories, and it's mentioned in the Porter, is that the number two construction battalion. My paternal grandfather was a member of the number two construction battalion. My grandfather is on the stamp that Canada Post put out honoring the number two. He's second from the left. When I think about the porter, I grew up in Nova Scotia and I often felt like this wasn't my place. And if I'd known the story about my grandfather, if I'd known all of those stories about the greatness and who was before us and what they did and what an impact they had on this country, what a difference it would have made in my life. I remember we were doing some, I don't know, maybe it was like seven years ago, and I got a chance to talk to some uh, young dancers, and their parents were there. And I started off by telling the story about the porters and so on. And I remember a mother coming up to me, and she says, I've never told my son that his grandfather was a porter. You know, she stopped for a second to compose herself, because I think she was almost like, why haven't I done this? And I think in a roundabout way, maybe she did not know what they did. She knew what the occupation was, but she didn't know about the man Mm -hmm. and what they did and what that community did and how it has affected us. When you talk about the number two construction battalion, we as the creators, as well as CBC, Sienna Films with Jennifer Kawaja and Spear, who's in Montreal, Spear Media, we are helping to put this show and these stories forth. But there have been documentaries in the past. Anthony Sherwood is an unbelievable producer director and has done things on the number two Mm -hmm. construction town Mm -hmm. because of his family lineage. 
That's a documentary that should be pulled up and put forth. Shelwyn Jacobs has done a documentary on the Porters. As a matter of fact, he was part of filming the fact that the Porters would all get together once every couple of years and have dinners. That's a documentary on NFB, which you can watch right now on YouTube. That needs to be put forth. And there are so many other people that have done that. Sage Matthews writing the book about North to the Color Lines. Stanley Grizzle's book, My Name is Not George. These are books that I had to go to the United States to purchase to read about our history. There are so many other books that we need to read about because as much as I love and absolutely love the book of Negroes, right? I believe it doesn't stop there. We do not stop at that chapter in our lives. We do not stop at our chapter of the lives of the porters. We don't stop there either. So for me, there's the Haitian experience that came in the 70s in, in Quebec. There are so many aspects of it. You're talking about the 1,000 that came from Oklahoma that wanted just like any other settlers to come in and start farming communities and what our government did to the lengths of stopping them as to put up billboards showcasing Black people freezing, saying the Negro biologically can't survive north of the color line. People don't know about that. And it doesn't paint the government at that particular time very well. We say Jim Crow is an American thing. I often think of it this way. In the United States, Jim Crow might say of someone coming into a store that says uh, whites only, you were told in a very adamant way, get the beep out. Whereas yeah. in Canada, the same thing would happen, but they would put thank you, I'm sorry, excuse me in front of that <laughs> and behind that. But it meant the exact same thing, get out. I just applaud people to please watch the show because it, it is an amazing dramatized show. And Anne-Marie Morales and Marsha Green, who are two Black women who are leading the way in the sense of being showrunners in this country, and they have put their footprint on this. And Charles Officer and RT, two amazing directors who have really just took the words and made it into a beautiful, beautiful drama. And of course, with that, you also need allies, which I believe the Ian Dimmermans, Bernal Films, and Jennifer Kawaja, my amazing partner from Sienna Films and CBC and Spear, you need all of that just to do this. Eight yeah. episodes, it's not 24, it's just eight episodes. But my point is, let this be a stepping stone for us learning about us. Let's not put blame on, you know, school system, this, that. We as adults, we can do this and we can help out those that maybe don't know about our beautiful history. I mean, Nova Scotia, I would love to come to Nova Scotia and have a historian take me around. Like, I can't tell you, and spread the word. If there is anyone who would love to do that, I would be very uh, thankful. The thing about the Porter, for me, this is my story. You know, in the place where I was saying that, I always felt like Canada wasn't mine, or this is my story. This is mine. That's what I'm taking away. Is that what you're hoping that we'll all take away? I remember in Vancouver, you know, we were in the processes trying to get the show going. I was working on a TV series there called The Travelers. And I just happened to be living at a condo on Main Street. And I was going through this tough time in a sense of like, man, I don't know if this show is going to happen, really pouring everything into it. I was at the fork in the road of either saying, yeah, I gave it my best or not. And I walked across the street to just get a, a drink at this restaurant slash bar called Angor Street. Okay. And I was sitting at the front looking out the window. 
And I looked across and on this pole was this sign. And it looked like there was a picture of a porter. I was like, what? I was like, come on, put my drink down. I went outside. And there was this map of Hogan's Alley. Oh, wow. And all this time that I'd been living there, I did not know that the place where they put me up, where I was living, I was in this Black community. It was a picture of a porter and had all these dots of all these little places. It had Via's Chicken Stand, which was Jimi Hendrix's grandmother's spot, okay. right? I started bawling. I started crying because I was like, I needed this. And by the grace of God, I believe the ancestors were there to prop me up. And I remember I was about to leave and some guy ran out and he said, hey, dude, you got to pay your bill, man. I was like, okay, okay, I got it, I got it. <laughs> and I took a picture of that map and I went to every dot on that street and knocked on the door and said, did you know? And, you know, some people did know, some people didn't. And then wow. I went to this little patch of grass and I realized this was a section where the bridge from downtown came over. They had bulldozed down the whole black neighborhood, put this bridge. And then I looked up and I realized the train station was a couple stone throws away. So this was the path that these black men would wake up at 3.30 in the morning and walk to work. I called up my brother and I told him, I said, I'm walking on black history. I was thinking if I can feel that way, then how would other people feel in Nova Scotia, mm -hmm. in Ontario, mm -hmm. in BC and Alberta and Saskatchewan and Manitoba and so on and so on and, and PEI, you yes. know, thank you for that wake up, New Brunswick, you name it. So that really empowered me. And I was like, no, nah, man, I hope that people are happy about the show and they love the show in a sense it's dramatized i hope it makes you cry i hope it makes you laugh i hope it makes you get up and dance mm -hmm. i hope it gets you angry i hope it does all those things but we really hope that if there is something in there where you go i wonder if that is true mm. that i hope people take that time to go online go to the local bookstores because there are black bookstores that have all these books and you don't need to be Black in order to want to do that. You just need to be a Canadian who just wants to know about history. That's it. The Black Cross nurses. I knew nothing about Black Cross nurses. Of course, my mom being a, a nurse, I was like, hold on a second. Hold up here. <laughs> and then you go down that road and then it's the, you know, the Marcus Garvey. And a good friend of mine, Roy Anderson, was doing a documentary which just came out in the last couple of months on Marcus Garvey. So I'm calling him up and I'm talking, he goes, oh yeah, man, that's all Marcus Garvey stuff. I'm like, what? And the fact that these women had these unbelievable uniforms and walked down the street, I was like, I want to see that. It's a shame my mom and my father are not alive to see this, but I know going back to the kernel of this, of wanting to find books and sitting on the steps, mom would be upstairs in the kitchen, dad be downstairs watching a hockey game or something. And I would read to them. All right. About Canadian history. And I wish I knew about Black Crosses then because even though they were inspired and happy to learn that there were people that looked like them within the fabric of this country, Black Cross nurses would have been something my mom would have probably knew about, but we could have gelled even more about that. Right. When we see the porters, you know, walking along and they pick up each other as they're going along to see those guys walking with their uniforms and shout out to the people in the community. 
Well, that was one of the things that, you know, Marcia Green and Anne-Marie really wanted to get across is inspiration. Take a music aspect. With every upbeat, there's a downbeat. But we wanted to definitely show those upbeats. I'll tell you, when I first put on that Porter uniform, there was a sense of pride that I felt. Mm -hmm. And also obligation. From the time I wanted to pursue this, I felt that weight on my shoulders. Uh I really hope that we've um, succeeded in in making people like yourselves proud. But I will tell you this. When we were doing that walk, remember now we have, I don't know, maybe almost 200 background performers, majority of them Black from Winnipeg. Some of them from the Caribbean, some of them from parts of Africa. So as we're walking there, they were looking at us like, oh, this is achievable. Like young Black boys and girls were not just looking at us, but they were looking at Marsha Green and Anne-Marie and Charles and RT going, oh, I want to be that. And the energy that we were getting as porters walking down the street as like the, the background performers were looking at us, they were looking at us and cheering us on with pride of seeing themselves. And what you don't see in the show is when we yell cut, we would play our shoe shining boxes and dance back <laughs> to do it again and sing. And all the background performers would start singing too with us and we'd be singing some song, you know, get up, stand up. You know, we would do that thing, but we were just singing all the way back because we could feel the energy and we wanted to get up and we wanted to dance here. We wanted to do that because we couldn't control it. And Mm -hmm. we did that multiple times. And I give a shout out to Charles Officer that really wanted to showcase us in a sense of unapologetically being us. And we showcase that in that. We showcase that when we're in church. We showcase that when we're in a stardust dancing, unapologetically being us. Because we know at that particular time, going back into their everyday of work, they had to put layers of armor on in order to do the jobs that they need to do with their dignities and the, the racism of the time. So that when they were in a safe place, they could take those things off and rejoice and be themselves. There's so much joy. There's so much beauty. There's so much love, so much pride, so much family, so much community in the Porter. And that's why I keep watching it. Like you can't not help catch that joy when they're dancing in the club. And at the same time, they're dancing in church and it's going back and forth between the two places and everybody's up. It's it's really us. And, and, you know, we don't stop there too. We do showcase, like you were saying earlier on, about problems within the Black community in the sense of colorism, you know, shadism. Yes. We do showcase that. For me, it all comes down to crabs in a bucket and how sometimes, unfortunately, within our communities and other communities, we can climb on one another to get what we believe is that shining star. We get deliberately pitted against each other, too. 100%. It is definitely a tactic which, you know, gatekeepers have used on every nationality throughout history, right? Mm -hmm. Poor against rich, poor against poor. Do you know what I mean? It's not just a race thing. It's a class thing that, Mm -hmm. you know, the gatekeepers have used. And we're just trying to showcase that as best as we can in a dramatized format. It fills my heart with pride hearing that you are seeing yourself and saying this is your story. This is what I want. I just really, really pray that everyone has that mindset that you have in the sense of this is mine. 
when I say mine, I don't mean mine in the sense of like, you can't see it, you can't, you can't touch it, but just a sense of pride of like, you know, this is my baby, like, you know, like show it off. At the end of the day, we've done our job. For season one, we've done our job. Now it is in the hands of you, the Canadians, to come out and watch it. Because if you want there to be a season two or season three or five or six, or better yet, other shows where someone wants to go to uh, whatever college or university and become a scriptwriter and tell their story, whatever it may be, this needs to be a show that needs to come across as being successful. Right. Some history teachers have reached out to talk to us. We also want to uh, showcase the fact that this is a drama. This does come on at nine o'clock. There is a certain language and certain aspects of going on. So we have to be very weary of the age group in which we are talking to. But there are other aspects of just the curiosity of learning about history. You talk about Black Cross nurses, porters, farmers that come to this country. But also the showgirls and the jazz artists, like Oscar Peterson's father was a porter. Oliver Jones' father was a porter. Uh, Politicians, Lincoln Alexander's father was a porter. The mighty Jerome, the sprinter's father was a porter. You know, Marlene Jennings, an MP, father, a porter. Like, there's so many. And I would love one day to get on a huge Zoom with all of those descendants and just talk to them because I still get a big kick out of learning about our Canadian Black history mm-hmm. um, in every avenue. So I was saying about the beauty, the joy, the family, all of that in the Porter, but there's also lots of pain. The humiliation of Glenford when he comes into the car and all of the buyers clap to say, look, Porter on demand, you know, the points made. Or you see the tear coming down Sieg's eyes when he's crying about the death of Henry and the family's being forced to pay for his uniform. Or Zeke going into the kitchen and the white cooks calling him the N-word. What was it like on set for people dealing with those heavy issues? We had Heather, I can't remember her last name. She was a therapist on set, which we had in case in those sort of difficult scenes, if someone had something that they wanted to talk to a professional about, but we had that on set. I've never been on a set where there's been a therapist. We also had Christopher, a professor from Waterloo University, would come on every couple of weeks and collectively everyone on the the show, black, white, yellow, and green would come on and listen to him talk about the black experience, so to speak. And there was no wrong question or or wrong answer. The way that he dealt with people was amazing. And And I learned a lot from being in his presence on Zoom. As an actor playing Glenford, it was very important for me to carry that weight of a 10 ton elephant on my back. When he went to work, he had to put those armors on, I call them veneer, like lacquer, in order to play the role. You know, in the West Indian culture, we call it spooky, spooky when you speak the Queen's English. Back then, it would have been the King's English, you know? Okay. And in order to play that role, George Pullman, when he created the service of the Pullman uh, cars, what he did was made these cars so beautiful and like mahogany and the perfect sort of fabric for the chairs and stuff like that. And to finish off this so-called palace on wheels, they thought, okay, what do we need to finish this off? And they thought about it. And they thought, we need the type of person that will be the perfect servant. And in the United States, you know, slavery, not that far off. So they thought, perfect. Servitude is built into them. So for the average white person that saved up their money to go on these palaces on wheels, if they were going from Montreal to Vancouver, They had a slave, basically, 
that worked for them for 85 hours and 15 minutes from Montreal to Vancouver. And that person was a porter that had four hours off. So they basically did that job standing up. And that is not to say that other jobs that other people have had throughout that time weren't bad. I'm just talking about this particular thing right here. And, you know, if one of them hurt themselves, they were gone. If one of them tried to stand up for themselves against discrimination, they were gone. Just the fact of Glenford at that little moment when he gives that look, for me, was a breaking of seeing through the veneer of the hardship of the job. And that was just a little window. Like I said before, the only time he gets to take off that armor is when he's at church, when he's at the nightclub, and he can almost exorcism out the day. Mm -hmm. So I just thought, for me, for the character of Glenford, if I carried that weight around with me, with the facade of what he has to do, every once in a while, that would showcase itself. Yeah. Amel and, and Ronnie and Muna and Lauren and Olanike, episode two, Miss Queenie. These are amazing actors. And I think for me, you know, especially for my Canadian brethren, these performances that you're seeing, it's not as if they have risen to this platform. They always had that. It was the opportunity and the text and the situation that allows them to showcase what they've already had. That's what I'm really proud of is giving them these opportunities because you can feel through the screen. I can't tell you how many emails and texts I've got where people are like, oh, I'm upset. Oh, I'm happy. Oh, I'm upset. <laughs> yep, that's me. That's great. Da -da -da -da. That reminds me of my grandfather. And you know what's really cool is people sending me pictures of their great-grandfather or great-grandmother who were porters or um, Black Cross nurses. I just find that really, really cool, man. What a journey. It is really amazing. Do you know the story of your grands, your great-grands? Who were they? Yeah, Arawak is very much on my mother's side. You can see it in their faces. You can see it in grandmother's faces. You can see it in the freckles that we have in our faces. On my father's side, dark beautiful African skin, strong, strong hands. My grandfather in Clarendon was a builder. And on my mother's side, on my father's side, my grandfather was a sheriff in Maypen. I think the one thing that I will say regarding their lineage, which I believe is being passed on to us, is that they were not afraid. I have a tattoo on my arm. It's a tattoo of the British flag. Okay. In Jamaican colors. And it says Fediancris, which are the nicknames, Fediancris, right? And on the eye is a little tiny dot, which is the Canadian flag. And I always think when I'm afraid to jump with two feet, when I'm nervous, I think if my parents come from Jamaica with Pitney Dam mm -hmm. to England, to Canada, and put us in a place to succeed, I cannot be afraid of anything. My brothers and sisters, I'm so proud of them of what they have done with their lives. I'm the youngest of five. My stepsister in Jamaica, she is a teacher in Kingston. She's dying to watch this show out there as well. But to see what they've done, and the only way that we could have achieved these things or even have the possibility is because of the daringness, the boldness, the uh, never giving up mindset that my parents have and of course the grace of god i come from that stock for all of your viewers if they are doubting that they have it within them think back to where they come from because mm -hmm. we are 
storytellers. We mm -hmm. come from that. Mm -hmm. And I hope this empowers people to write a better show than the Porter and to stand on the shoulders of all of those people that creatively have come together to do this project. Just like we stand on the shoulders of Clement Burgos, the Jennifer Holness, the, the Sud Sutherlands, the Steve Williams, the Selwyn Jacobs, and so, so many more, right? I hope that people find it within them to go after their dreams too. And I apologize for going on, but I feel very passionate about that. I don't want this to be a footnote in history. I want this to be a stepping note in history. Ah, I like that. Was it 13 years to get this made? It's so funny because as you do the interviews, you're like, oh yeah, 11 years. Yeah, 12 years. <laughs> you're like, yeah, 2022, 13 years. Man. So, yeah. Well, thank you for not taking no for an answer and working for those 13 years to make it happen. And thanks for reminding us, as you said, that we have a stake in this country and that we are woven into the very fabric of this flag. That's a, something for all of us to remember. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity to hopefully entice and empower people to watch the show. I hope so. Thank you, you so much. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to check out our website, www.intheblackcanada.ca, to listen to Black Canadians from across this country talk about their experiences and those of their ancestors of being Black in Canada. And if you have a story to tell, contact us through the website or at intheblackcanada at gmail.com. You can catch more episodes of I Am Black History, Our Voices, Our Stories, wherever you get your podcasts.